Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Vanessa Dunn-Guyton, and I am the proud founder and executive director of Hush No More. Hush No More supports survivors when they're ready to come forward to share their story, when they need information, or when they just need somebody to listen. We also provide training in our community to raise awareness on what we call the Hush Topic, sexual assault, domestic violence, sex trafficking, child sexual abuse, incest, all of those topics and conversations that families and friends and organizations find difficult to have, we have them because it is so important to raise awareness and to protect our community. So this is what tonight is about. We are going to talk with a special guest who is phenomenal, who I actually met through social media, through Facebook. And so I'm really honored to bring her on today. So we have Tanisha Bankston. Welcome, Tanisha. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited we finally had this conversation because our topic tonight is no one believed you. And I meet so many people who tell me that nobody believed them when they did come forward, when they finally got the courage and the nerves or people found out nobody believed them. So I'm excited because sometimes people don't understand this journey and there are a lot of people that don't. So. Let's get into this tonight. So tell us about Tanisha. Who is Tanisha today? I'm Tanisha um, on my healing journey. I'm a, I'm a mother of three children. I'm an advocate. I'm a survivor of rape, incest, childhood sexual abuse, and domestic violence. And I found myself in 2020. And like I said, I'm on my healing journey. You're on your healing journey. How long do you think healing journeys last? Oh, I think they last for, I mean, it, it gets better with time, but I just don't think like, you're always going to be, I feel like you're going to always be in some form of healing. I do too. So I feel like I'm always going to be on a healing journey and that I always have to work on something that I'm always trying to be better, be better than I was yesterday. So I was right. just wondering what was your outlook on the healing journey because that's so important. And you've hit like majority of the hush topics that we talk about. Tanisha has lived and experienced them. And unfortunately, it happened, but you're changing it around. You're changing it around through speaking about it and sharing your story and healing. So tell us about just your early years about Tanisha. Share your story with us. When I was around five or six, I was raped and I wasn't believed. I was staying at my great-grandma, not my great-grandmother, but my grandmother's house, and a friend of the family was over there, and my grandmother and her sister went across the track, and the man, he stayed there at the house, and I was going to sleep. I didn't want to go to sleep, but I was I was sleepy, so I couldn't help it, and when I fell asleep, next thing I knew, he was on top of me, and he had forced himself inside of me, put his hand over my mouth, and... I was trying to scream kick, but I couldn't because he had his hand over my mouth and he was on the inside of me. But I managed to kick him off of me somehow, kick him in his um, private area. And I got up and I ran across the track to my mom and I told her, I said, that man, he touched me. He touched me down there. I didn't know what rape was or rape, the word rape meant. I mean, I shouldn't have to have at the age of five or six and my mom called the ambulance and they evaluated me there and I felt my brain it's like I felt a shift in my brain like from happy to just a shift that went on in my brain and I was taken to the hospital and 
I remember seeing blood on the sheets, but my mom said I had to relearn how to walk and I was taken to a special hospital. But the man, he was never locked up. And I asked my mom why. She said that they said that they didn't have an, enough evidence and proof that he had done it. But And so after that, me, I went into a shell that I never came out of because I knew what he had done to me. I knew what had happened to me. And some of my family members, they didn't believe me. And I was just, I was failed. I just, I changed. I always say my life changed before it began because I was only five or six when this happened. I had a hard time focusing in kindergarten. I failed kindergarten because I missed over 60 days. And so my early childhood was, I say, horrible because that went on when I was five or six. And I was adopted by my aunt, so I was taken from by the CPS, social workers, and the abuse never stopped. I thought it would stop, and it just continued and got worse. And when I was 10 years old, one of my aunt's boyfriend, he started having sex with me. He manipulated me to have sex with him. He did that for years. He was taking me to the old dog pound and give me money, have me to meet him in the alley, give me corns of change, like dime wrappers, penny wrappers. And he would tell me not to say anything. I was crying on the inside. I didn't know how to cry on the outside because I looked at it also as when I did tell it, when I did speak out when I was five or six, nobody believed me. So who would believe me now? And like I said, he did that for years until he died. So, But when I was 11 years old, the neighborhood candy store grandson manipulated me to have sex. He ruptured my anus. He would get me to sneak out the window had me to miss school. And so one day he had me to miss school and the, my aunt must have called the police because the school must have called my aunt. And police came to the room. Somehow they found us. I said it was nobody but the grace of God. He hadn't had sex with me, but he was about to have sex with me. And he hid me in between the mattresses. That just tell you how little I was and how small I was. I was 11, so I probably was weighing about I was real skinny and the police, they were looking for me. They were asking questions and he said, Tanisha's not here. He don't, he don't know her, Tanisha. And they were getting ready to leave. And one police said, hold on. He looked under the bed. I wasn't there. And then he looked, he lifted the mattress up and there I was in between the mattress. And so they was like, you know, wow, you know, and I was taken to the hospital and everything, and a rape kit was done on me. They took my clothes. He had a, there was a string. His puberty hair was on me, and like I said, they took my clothes and did a rape kit. I never got it back, anything back, and I was, he was taken to the police station, questioning, and then after they got done with the rape kit and everything, evaluated me at the hospital, I was taken to the police station, questioned, and everything, and they said about him not having sex with me, it was nothing that they could have done. I thought maybe that would keep him from having sex with me, but that didn't keep him from having sex with me. He just kept having sex with me. Like I said, he ruptured my anus. He would have sex with me while I was on my cycle. And he would, he did that for years, for years. And when I was 13, my cousin's husband got me pregnant. He, he would get me to meet him at Spain's, a grocery store. And or he would tell me to meet him around the block. He would pick me up most nights 
like I guess so he so people wouldn't see what he was doing, but he would have me to meet him at him my cousin's house and his house, and he would have porn turned on for me to watch porn. He would grease himself up with the grease and grease me up, and then he had he would have sex with me. And one day he came in me. I didn't know that he would be getting me pregnant. I would become pregnant. Like I said, I was 13, but he was in his 30s. The other guys were in their 30s as well. And so I became pregnant. And one, my baby, after I had my baby and she started walking when she was one, my cousin, she was like, she looked like my husband. Is this my husband's baby? And so I started crying because I was scared to say something. I was just like, I don't know. And so my cousin and her mom suggested that a DNA test should be done. And we went to the courthouse. A DNA test was done. I felt like I was felt by the court system, by school, by the police, because everything were like was in their face, and nobody ever said anything or nobody ever asked questions. Why is this fifteen-year-old girl in here? Why is a DNA test being done? You know, this fifteen-year-old girl, this grown man, the people that even swabbed us, nobody ever asked questions. The judge was in there; he never asked questions, and so the DNA test came back to be my cousin's husband baby i didn't know how to read it you know i was 14 15 so i didn't know i didn't understand i knew how to read but i didn't understand what it meant and so it came back to be his baby so nothing was never said or done about that it was like it was swept under the rug it's a family secret and so it really hurt me a lot because they knew about it but didn't nobody say anything about it and he continued to come to my aunt's house you know like nothing ever happened and everything and so then when I was 14 my son's dad he started manipulating me to have sex with him me and my friend girl we were walking down the street and he called me over and I went over there he had a hot he had a bag of hot chips and a pickle so evidently he had been watching me to know I like hot chips and pickles so he called me in the house I went in and so he ended up having sex with me and he asked me if I wanted to be his girlfriend. I didn't know how to, I did not know how to say no. I did not know how to tell people no. And I was just a child. He was four, I was 14 and he was 23 years old. So I ended up in that, I ended up in a domestic violence relationship with him from the age of 14 to 23. I moved out from my aunt's house when I turned 17 and got my own place down the street. I there were times I would be just scared to stay in my own place because he would jump on me, just jump on me for nothing. Like he would knock food out of my hand, spit in my face, tell me I'd never be nothing in life. And, you know, just tell people that I had AIDS. I didn't think I had AIDS, which I prayed I didn't have AIDS. I didn't know what I had. And so that just went on for years. And like I said, I escaped that relationship when I was 23 years old. And I've just been... I'm 33. I just turned 33 and I was introduced to a group on Facebook by me posting my story one time and saying the things that I was going through with my kids. So I was introduced to a group back in 2020. And that's when I first spoke out. I, I was asked if I wanted to speak. And so I did. And so I thought I would be scared, nervous and all of that. And that's when I discovered I had a voice when I first spoke out in 2020, July 3rd, 2020, 
And then people just started messaging me and writing on my timeline, asking me if I wanted to speak. And so I started speaking. The more I speak, spoke, the more confident I became in everything. And so that is my story. And I'm on my, my healing journey. You like, I got this all wrapped up. <laughs> and I know it's hard. The way you delivered it was like this. It was very in order. And so I have some questions for you that I know the audience have for you as well. One, how did the men have access to you? Because they were able to get you to get out of the house, to get to you at the store. Like, where was the adults? And, and not to say necessarily from a blame perspective, because I don't know, like, what was your situation? But where was everybody that allowed you as a child to be able to have all of this happen to you? Well, my aunt, she was at the house. Like, she said that she told me to leave those men alone, the ones that she did know about, because she didn't know about the first two, the first okay. two guys. And she said she told me to leave them alone. But I asked her, I'm like, I was just a child. You know, I just feel like I wasn't protected. I'm not blaming my aunt. Like, I'm getting so much backlash because my some of my family say, well, I'm blaming my aunt and everything. And I, I just say... I don't look at this blame. I, you're just stating facts. This is what happened. <laughs> right. That's what happened. But And I'm pretty sure other people are like, how did people have access to you? Right. And I was living with my aunt and like they were coming to my aunt house and you know they would be on the porch my first the second man he would always come to my aunt house because like i said he was my one of my aunt's boyfriend not the aunt that raised me he was another aunt's boyfriend baby daddy and they were just they just tar they targeted me i mean i i always felt like i was the weak one i don't know why they targeted me. I don't know. My mom was in and out of prison all my life, so I really didn't have that support. And when I got pregnant at 13, I just feel like my daddy gave up on me. But he said he didn't give up on me. He just wanted me to be with my siblings because he didn't know his mom. And so his dad had to raise him. So he just wanted me to be around my family and everything. So I respected that and I accepted that. But I just felt like I wasn't protected by family. Mm -hmm. So after they found out about the different men, was there ever like an intervention that you knew about outside of telling you to stay away from the men? Was like the men told to stay away from you? No. Mm -hmm. like, a lot of times we talk about grooming and I think parents need to hear this because a lot of times they don't understand how this is possible where an adult and sometimes even a sibling, older sibling or older cousin will buy you things and build a relationship and get you to trust them. What are some grooming things that happened to you that allowed you to be so close to them? Like, giving like, me the change, the money, and my going to the candy store, and the grandson telling me I can have whatever I wanted and just my son and dad, you know, moving in with me and staying with me and 
I just had so much fear. Like, I didn't trust them. I just, I was just fearful of them. From so it was more of a fear tactic. Yes, and I, and I, that fear has lived in me for so long, and I'm just learning to let go of fear and everything. Because, like I said, it had, it was in me for so long from all the things that I went through. Even some of my cousins in my family would come into my room in my aunt's house and fall in my pants and, and everything, or one of my cousins would put his foot, put my foot on his penis until he masturbate and everything. And it, it, it's just, it was just like I was being tortured as a child from everything that was happening. And that's what would happen. Do you think it was because they knew that your mom and dad wasn't around? That you were the child that didn't have that parent that was there all the time. Yes, I think that's part of it. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I was yeah. just wasn't being, you know, watched and protected, and like how some of my other cousins were. Like they had their mom, their dad, but basically, I I basically raised myself. You know, she kept a roof over my head, but I just basically raise myself. Like I said, I'm not blaming her or, or anything like that. It's just, I just felt like I wasn't protected when some of my family knew what was going on that could have said something or done something, but nobody ever said anything. And when I did speak out, I wasn't believed at the age of five or six. Mm -hmm. So that puts you on a spiral. Yes. Did you ever feel like um, when you, I heard you say you couldn't say no. Did you feel that way because men always had, sex, had their way with you? Like you didn't have an option. Was that why you felt like you couldn't say no? Yes. Yeah, so I just did whatever they wanted me to do, whatever they told me to do. And I just, I just didn't, I lost my inner voice when I was five or six, I say five. I lost my inner voice when it's like when I, when that happened to me, when my brain, it felt like my brain shift and I just lost my inner voice and I was just shy, shut down. But there was a reason because of everything that had been going on with me in my childhood and I wasn't being protected. You know, my mom wasn't there. My dad, he did for me, but I wasn't with him before I got like how I was before I got pregnant. I was staying two weeks at a time with my dad. I knew I was protected at my dad because my dad, you know, he protected me and he loved me and we went to church, did things and but at my aunt house it was different. It's like how people come to your house and so many people are around and just men looking and lurking and they all just had eyes on me saying I'm Black Barbie, the beautiful girl. And it's just. Why didn't you tell your dad? I was scared. I didn't know him. My dad actually asked me when I got pregnant. He was like, who, who, who are you pregnant by? Who, who is it, Tanisha? But I had, I was just scared. I was scared to say anything. Scared to tell anything. Scared to tell you. And for another thing, they told me not, the men told me not to tell it. They told me not to say anything, don't tell anybody. And like I said, when I told it the first time, I was like, 
I felt like who was going to believe me this time if I was to say anything. And it took me 27 years to speak out. I just spoke out in 2000 and 2020. So I lived 27 years. I always say, like, my brain was locked up in prison because I missed out on so much. So much. Yeah. So much. Yes. Like, my child, the things I wanted to do in school, I was 13 pregnant with a child. I wanted to go off to college, be a model. The things that the dreams I had, I didn't get a chance to do because while my friends were out playing, I was in the house, you know, with a baby. I didn't know how to take care of a baby at 14 years old. I, the doctor said I almost died. I feel like then something should have been done. A social worker or somebody should have been brought in because the doctor said my body and my bones were not ready and produced to be pushing out a baby. You know, so. It is right at the early age. And so they, nobody, nobody ever said anything. It was just like, I just picked myself up and went on day to day. I went to school and just, I just put all my attention in, in books, reading, studying, and just going to school. Did any of the um, teachers or social workers ask you any questions? Nobody. No teacher. Nobody no, no, I was never called to the office to see the counselor or nobody. I mean, mm -hmm. They knew I was pregnant because I had to be out when I had my baby and be out for the six weeks. I had to take home. They gave me all my schoolwork. Like my, I was to take my exams at home, my tests at home. And so they, so they knew, you know, I still did all my work at home, but nobody ever said anything. The only time I had ever seen like a nurse or something was like when a nurse came to my aunt house after I had my baby and for the nurse to show me how to clean the umbilical cord around my baby's navel. And that was the only time I had ever seen, like, somebody coming into my aunt's house for me. But no no social worker, no counselor, no therapist, or nobody. Mm -hmm. See, sometimes I feel like in our advocacy world, we put the responsibility on the child to come forward and say something. But there's so many reasons why you don't come forward. You don't come forward. So many reasons. So that's why I really am big on it's the parents' responsibility to protect the children, the adult in the family to protect the children. Because children don't come forward. We could teach them all day and talk about it. But did you ever have a talk about being touched or nobody ever talks to me about being touched? Nobody like if somebody touched somebody. you, tell it, Tanisha. Nobody ever said that. Like I said, I didn't have my mom. Yeah. Nobody ever said anything. Yeah. Um, Jess says she's glad you got out of this situation. I am too, Jess. Thank you. And Susie has two questions for you. Her first question was, how old were you um, when you were able to get out of the situation? So when did you get completely out? After the domestic violence? Yes, after the domestic violence. I was 23 years old. So I stayed in that relationship for nine years. I don't really call it a relationship. I don't know what it was because he manipulated me and took advantage of me. He was 23 and I was 14. And I was 23 when I escaped because I escaped. I didn't just get up and leave because he wouldn't let me just get up and leave. 
So I actually had to meet somebody in order to leave. And I met a bodyguard through Facebook because I felt like he could protect me and everything. So I was just glad to be out of that. When he hit, my son dad hit me with a baseball bat on my leg for nothing one morning before going to work. I knew then if I don't leave, I'll be dead because he just hit me for no reason. He just hauled off and hit me. And I was crying, and I still went to work. I was working at the hospital. I told, I told my friends what had happened. They were like, Tanisha, you need to leave. But it's easier said than done because I was just always, I was so scared of him. But until I met somebody, a bodyguard, I just, I just thank God for being out of that because it, I feel like if I would have never met him, who's to say? if I would still be in that relationship or or if I would even be here because he would just jump on me because he just felt like it. That's what he said. Because he felt like it. Yeah, and he Spit was supposed to love you. Right. He, he was right. supposed to love you, you and your baby, and to be in a relationship. I, I can just imagine how that just transpired. He took, from 14, you really weren't ready to be in a relationship with a grown man. Right. At all. Yeah. All right. Susie also wants to know, did you feel unworthy through all of this? The reason why you didn't say anything. Is it because you, you didn't feel self-worth? I just, I just didn't say anything because I was just so scared. I had lost my voice. Like, my inner voice was just gone. Like, just, I didn't talk in school. I really didn't talk to people. I was shut down. I isolated myself basically from the world. I was just to myself because I was just always shy, had low self-esteem, and I just felt bad, just neglected. So I, my biggest thing was fear. Fear had me bound. Fear. Fear. I just had so much fear from what they were doing to me and and I lost my inner voice like when my brain actually when I felt like my brain shift shifted I just lost everything just it was just like a like I became a different person and when you are victimized the first time you are at a higher risk of it happening again it's almost like predators realize that you've been abused before. You have that abuse, that's the low self-esteem, you're quiet, you didn't have the family. So it's really hard um, to get away from those type of people who target you. Because essentially that's what they did. They targeted you. Um, Tierra said, did your mom experience the same things from your family? Did your mom go through um, child sexual abuse? Or did they yeah. treat her this way too? Well, I just recently talked to my mom about a few months ago and she said that Men used to do her the same way. And so she said that her mom basically didn't protect her. And I don't know because she didn't know him. I don't, I don't know why, but she said her mom, that's what she told me. She said her mom didn't protect her. And she said guys would come into her, her window late at night and have sex. She said she was about nine years old. And my mom is bipolar and schizophrenic now. And I don't know if it's because of all the trauma that she went through, but that's what I say, that all of the trauma that she went through. And people don't know my mom's story. 
and I didn't know until she told me. And so, yes, she went through a lot of that. And she said men would always have sex with her and rape her when she was young. And so. Mm -hmm. Is she healing? Is she on a healing journey now or she's still struggling with it? She's still struggling with it. Like she's in a, she's in like a, a mental health institution because she's like not like she's not like stable to be on her own but they're gonna help her find her own place but like i said i feel like my by my mom being traumatized that that did something to her and having us young and not being able to take care of us because she said men would jump on her and everything i mean i witnessed my mom getting beat by several guys and my mom went to prison for so I say self-defense because a man just started beating her with a broom and she cut him. She just started cutting him. But my mom went to prison and the man didn't go to prison or jail. So, so she has a lot of trauma. I have a lot of trauma from seeing what my mom went through. So, and just throughout your family, Throughout your family, it's like a lot of family secrets. You know, like they knew things were going on, but they didn't say anything. And that's the problem that I have is when we don't talk about it. Because when one family member shares something, it allows the other family members to protect those around them. You know, it's a protection right. thing too. Right. Susie says she's happy. Um that you are free and able to heal. I am too, Susie. I am Thank too. Thank you, Susie. Um, Thank you. Because Me too. definitely not easy. It's not easy, not easy at all. It wasn't easy, and and I just I just always kept God with me. Just pray, just pray, and ask God to heal me. Just heal and deliver me. And that's what. So, what do you do? What does part of your healing look like? Of social media, media is one, and people don't like Facebook and social media, but it depends on how you use it. And we have a lot of support groups, a lot of action groups, and so it really is beneficial to some people. What are some things that Tanisha does to help her on her healing journey? I journal. I journal every day. I write every day. I'm a dreamer, and I dream every night, and I get up, and I write down my dreams and I started meditating and just I walk from time to time and everything and I just got up and motivated myself and went on and said what I was going to do and wrote my book as part of my healing and just wrote my book I just made up my mind and but writing is my number one healer and talking to God People say I'm crazy, but people think I'm crazy for talking like this and saying the things that I'm saying, but I'm not crazy. Well, I don't think you're crazy. Me and God have whole conversations. Like, that's my friend. <laughs> right. <laughs> and right. sometimes when people don't believe you, you rely on your faith because you can't even trust telling somebody if they're going to support you or not, or if they're going to say, I call it dumb stuff. Some, some people say dumb things to you when you're trying to open up. So it's hard to talk to others. So you find yourself 
having that conversation with God. Um, Pele said, God is the answer to all of our problems and that you are awesome. You're amazing. And remember that you are destined for greatness. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah, and, and you are. And I think it's so important that you always continue moving forward and sharing your story, sharing your story. Yeah, right, and I thank like, God. You're not even breaking down. You know how hard it is for people to share their story the first few times. You sit there like, oh, I'm crying. You got everybody on the show crying. You shared your story from a place of healing because you're like, bam, 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 bam. This happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. You know, and you're, you're recalling more and more as you're healing. And so I think that's important, too, to be able to heal through this growth process. Thank you. And so and I honor you through that. So tell us about your book, My Pain is My Power. My Pain is My Power. Yes. I've been writing ever since I was 18. And from the, like the things that happened to me, I was just always right. And like I said, I just turned 33. And I just, one day, like the COVID hit last year, and I got a message from God saying, you know what, it's time. It's time for you to publish your book. It's time for you to write this book. And so I just picked up my laptop and I just started typing and everything that I've been through. God blessed me and allowed me to put all of my pain into my book. So that's why it's called My Pain is My Power because I found my inner voice. Thank God. When I first spoke out July 3rd, 2020. And like I said, it's just all my life story is in that book. Everything that I've gone through and how that how God delivered me on September 4th, 2020 from my pain. And just it's my purpose. I, my purpose was birthed and and everything is in it, and it's my life story. And I and I just speak on how I want to help other women and children who's gone through what I've gone through or going through. So, how did your family receive your book? Because they didn't believe you growing up anyway. So, what was it like after you released that book? <laughs> oh Lord, Lord, I got so much backlash, so much. You've told your story. Okay, that's enough. You can quit. You don't have to keep talking. That book is stupid. That book don't make sense. And and just so many negative comments and everything. Uh, you didn't have to do auntie like that. You didn't have to. You didn't have to do that. Like just I just I just feel like I don't I don't have any support really from from my family. We were never just really close. I just felt like the black sheep. I was just there because I didn't have anybody. I don't just really have friends like that. And so I just wanted some somebody to talk to and to be loved. But when I wrote, really, when I wrote that book, I just got, you know, they say that my book should be called The Lies We Tell and The Secret We Keep. The Lies We Tell and The Secrets We Keep. That's what they say. Yeah. Is it something that, if they're listening, that you would want to say to them? I would just say, like, I'm not blaming my aunt, but I wasn't protected. And this is my story, my testimony. I'm telling it and I'm sharing it because I was locked up. My mom was locked up in prison for 27 years. And I was silent for 27 years. And now that I have my voice, yes, it took me a long time. 
but I'm speaking out and I'm and I'm telling it. And I'm just sharing it. And it's your right. It's your right to share your story. You know, when we first started talking, I was like, share your truth. It is your truth. Everybody has a right to tell it. It is your story. People are not going to believe you. They're not going to support you. And we have to move past that. You know, I had people upset with me because I didn't tell them first before I came speaking out. So what? I chose not to tell you first. You could tell who you want to tell, when you want to tell it, and how you want to tell it. And right. I think that's important and it's so powerful. Pele said your story is a blueprint for someone else. And I agree. It truly is. And that she loves both of us. So we love you, Pele. Love you too. Love you it's too. so important to, to share your own truth and not worry about what somebody has to say. And is it hurtful? Yeah. Yes. How, how do you allow it not to hurt you as much? I just write stuff down and just write I cry. Down. I have my moments, my okay. moments where I just cry and I just let everything out and and that's it. And I had to come to terms that it wasn't my fault. Like I had to just come to terms and accept that and it wasn't my fault because I always thought it was my fault. And like, remember I told you that I was going to stop speaking and just stop telling it and stop sharing my story. And you say, don't let nobody quiet you. Don't let, you know, don't, don't never do that. Like you've lived in it for too long and just I'm sorry if people's mad, but I, I just can't, you know, I just I just have to let it out, share it. It's my truth. I know what happened. I'm not making nothing up that I'm saying. I I know everything that happened to me happened. And some of my family know members know. The truth. I don't think you should be apologetic that they're mad. I don't think you should say you're sorry that they're mad. That's their problem. <laughs> That's just what I think. And sometimes, one, they have are guilty because they knew. Two, sometimes things happen to them, so it's hard for them to come forward as well. Because if they come forward and stand up for you and someone else, they have to admit what happened to them. And it's heavy in our families and in some families more than others. And so people have to figure out their own. Um, and it's okay for us to cry sometimes. I call my tears butterfly tears. So sometimes people hurt my feelings, you know, and I cry and I heal through them. And it sounds like that's what you're doing as well. And so it's important to do that. But, you know, I don't care who um, gets mad about my truth. <laughs> and I try to encourage everybody around me to do the same thing. It's because they have to figure out how to be comfortable with the fact that you were hurt and abused and they don't want to get into that space. So, cause it's uncomfortable for people, but they will. So that's me speaking to your family. <laughs> and that's with love. Ain't nothing I could do. There's, there's nothing we can do to make people feel better about what happened to us. It's not our responsibility. Right. At all. <laughs> I'm not going to make you feel, I'm not going to, you know, massage your ego and your feelings because I was hurt. That don't make sense. But people expect you to do that. It don't make sense. You know? Catherine says, standing in faith give us, gives us hope and allows us to heal. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you yeah. so much. And, and you definitely stood in your faith. And I think that's important. But I get mad when people um, get upset with somebody for telling their story. <laughs> 
get so yeah. upset. And I got to figure out how to not get mad, right? I have to figure out something else to do. Because <laughs> sometimes I get upset when people tell me that somebody didn't believe them and don't want them to share with anybody else and want them to keep it a secret so it could explode inside of you. That's not fair. Right. That's what, and that's exactly what happens. Like, And that's what was happening until I was able to release it but i honestly didn't know that i would be getting backlash and i didn't know that any of this would be like it is now yeah but it's okay it's okay and i'm okay and it's okay that i've lost some of my family it's okay but but my truth is my truth and and i'm sure and i thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak and share my truth and my story you're welcome. I wanted you to come on sooner. The schedules was just full. <laughs> and, then, and we said we were going to mention that you were in the car because the kids in the house. And yes. we all know when you have children, it's loud. So like the, the quietest place was for you to go in the car and have this conversation. So um, I'm glad that you were able to escape to have this conversation with me because it is so important. So do you have any words for parents or for adults as it relates to children and protecting children and maybe even believing children you have anything that you think parents should know yes i would say observe your children pay attention to them and if they come forward and tell you that somebody did something to them believe them don't just push them away and tell them go sit down or play you just pay attention to your children your kids your child or your children because child sex abuse is real and and it messes with the kids it traumatizes them and so just pay attention and believe them mm -hmm. yeah and i always say call the police so an investigation can be done you yeah. may not believe you might have some doubt but move forward with some action so you can get the proof that you need you know, you can get your child examined. You know, they could sit down and talk to the therapist. And it's not always invasive as people think. So we do things like art therapy, child play, conversation. So it's not like you're putting your child in this horrible situation when they come forward and share with you and you call and report it. But what it does is give them an outlet to talk and share what happened with them. And you can have some peace as well and protect your child. I can't tell you how many adults that have told me that their parents did not believe them or an adult did not believe them and reported it. It happens so often. And I'm not a stats person. But one stat that I always repeat is that 90% of all child sexual abuse happens from someone that that child knows that is close to the family. That is, is not the stranger danger. It's the cousins, the aunts, the uncles. You know, the, the boyfriends that's coming to the family, coming over to the house and all of those. It's other children that touches our kids. And so we have to have this conversation and you have to do something about it when your children come forward and believe. But society don't believe. They don't believe. And so that's why I want you to share your story to help society realize, man, this is for real. I got to do better. It is for real and it's so real. Mm -hmm. It is so real. Yeah, yes. it is. It's very real. Um, Pele said, thank you for sharing your powerful story. Amazing conversation. 
Um, Catherine said, hush no more. We always talk about hush no more. That is definitely my thing. My thing is to hush no more. You have that right. I'm not. To get I'm help and to heal. Yes. Yeah, you have that right. And Michelle said, thank you for sharing. You're welcome. Thank you, Mary. You're welcome. Yeah. And Catherine, it's it's 90%. It, it is a very high rate. I was in a training. We were talking about people love to say that adults who are abused as children are abusers. And that's a statistic that is not always true. That doesn't mean that they've all they've been abused and that's why they abuse. Society gives people excuses for their behavior. And if you were abused, doesn't mean that you should touch another child, you know? So it's people like that and, and the excuses that society gives and the alibis, or maybe they didn't mean it. Maybe you took it wrong. Maybe those men did not mean to really hurt you. I don't understand why our society gives excuses. Right. They did it. It was wrong. It was wrong. It was yeah. wrong. Of the men that abused you, were they friends of the family? Like, did the family trust them? Yes. Yeah. Every last one of them. All five of those men, men were friends of the family. They hung around my, not the first one, he hung around my grandmother's house. But the other ones, they hung around my family house and everything. So, all of, nobody was ever locked up, you know, that the ones that they knew about, but nobody was ever locked up. I feel like everybody should have been locked up, but I just prayed about it and put it in God's hand. And I believe in karma, Tanisha. We don't always know what happens to our abusers. We don't always know. Probably never know. But I do believe that God has our back and fights our battles for us. And that's what helps me to be able to move forward because sometimes we don't. People will befriend a parent, a family member to get to your child, <laughs> period. They make friends with the adults first so they can get access to your children. Mm. It's a systematic thing that is being done and we have to pay attention to that. I will tell anybody, your child is not that special to be getting a lot of gifts and that much attention from an adult. You have to watch out about the attention, the gifts, how much love they're showing to your children, how they want personal access to your kids, and they have to be around your children. Nobody has to be around your kids. That's true. So it's important to pay attention to that. How are you with your children? Like, are you real strict about people being around your kids? Yes. Everybody said I was overprotective about my kids and everything. I'd always told them, you know, come to me. You can talk to me. And tell me if anybody has said anything to you or done anything to you, you have the right to say no. I always told them. I even tell my four-year-old baby, like, all the time, like, don't let nobody touch you. And come and tell me if somebody say, you know, something to you or do anything to you. So. It's hard. It's hard. I, I was very protective of my kids, too. I had a house full of kids at times because I didn't want my kids going to nobody else's house. I'd rather them be at my house. <laughs> like I had the trampolines, the basketball goals. I had all of that in my house because I didn't want my children over there. Right. I rather I knew this was a safe space. And so it's it's difficult to be able to release your children and to be able to do that. Right. Because so, you are you in, are you in counseling? Did you go to counseling? 
No, I'm actually looking for a counselor, somebody to see, because I have my ups and downs and highs and lows. So, but like I say, I just write everything down and I'm getting through through the day. But I would like to have somebody I can talk to because the ones that I have talked to, some of the people, not counselors, but they've thrown it back in my face and I've gotten judged or so I just feel like I can, if I can talk to somebody, a counselor, that'll help too. Well, hush no more. We have counselors. We have free counseling. So I will send that to you and see if one of them fit for you because all counselors are not a fit, right? It's important that you find the one that's right for you. But we do have free counselors and um, that can actually help you as well. Okay, thank you. And don't give up on that search. Um, Princess said, I remember almost being raped by my cousin. I told my aunt and she did not believe me. She actually blamed me. Mm. Um, I don't understand how parents and adults blame children in the, in this any kind of way. But they're allowed to say things like, you know, you're you're promiscuous, you're fast, you're growing up too fast. Person's face, look at the clothes you got on. They will blame you instead of blaming the person that actually is the abuser. And the predator, because that's what I, I like to call them predators, because that's what they are. Um, Lupe said, May God bless and strengthen you as you heal. Thank and you. And you're definitely getting you. stronger. Thank and Princess also said, They will not get away with it. I do. I do not believe that people get away with the things that they do to others. And um, Thrive Works, Sierra Brabham. Oh, Thrive Works, that's an organization that also has free counseling. Okay. So, Princess, if you could put the link um, in the comment section, that'll help. So, Thrive Works is another good organization that well, thank you. counseling. There's a lot of resources out here, and that's why it's so important to get the information that you need. All right. So, tell us how to contact Tanisha and how we can purchase your book. You can contact me by phone. My number is 662-699-0785. And my book is on Amazon. You can type in my name, Tanisha Bankston, or type in the title, My Pain is My Power. And that's the only title, so that's going to pop up there. So, in my picture. Yes. But God. But God, I am so proud of you. Um, I honor you in this moment of sharing your story. It's not easy. You just made it easy. <laughs> you went through your story like it is. It is. I can tell you've been writing and healing on that journey. And so I am truly proud of you. And I look forward Thanks. to seeing more work by Tanisha and seeing you make a difference in our community and raising awareness and deciding to hush no more. Thank so, you so much. Thank you so very much. So you've heard from the amazing Tanisha Bankston sharing her story of how no one believed her. And I think it is so important that you believe individuals. Don't be so quick to believe the predator, the abuser. Don't be so quick to believe that person. You think they're going to sit there and say, yeah, I did it. No, people don't just admit what they did. Exactly. Right. They're not going to do that. And if your children come to you and report anything or you think something, bring up the conversation. Contact us if you need help bringing up the conversation. If you need help talking to your children, we have training all the time. and also. You want to get an investigation started. Get an investigation started so that you know for sure that your children are being protected. Okay. 
and we can help you through that process as well. So thank you for joining us for Hush No More Champions. Next week we have She is Powerful by Isabel Gosper. She's going to be on the 20th. And on the 7th of August, we're having a college forum, and we're going to talk about how do you go to college and be safe from the alcohol, drugs, and the sex. So if you have college students, the registration is going to be up this week. Register your children. Register your nieces and your nephews. They need to be at that training. It is so important, okay? So important that we protect our children as they go off to college. Every Thursday, we have our therapy at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You don't need to know how to draw. You just relax, stress out, laugh with us. Come join us um, via Zoom. It is absolutely free. And October 16th, 2020. Oh, Lord, I need to leave 2020 for real. But October 16th, 2021 is our domestic violence. We would love for you to be a victim, a sponsor, or a participant. You can walk with us in Columbia, South Carolina. Or you can actually, um, if you walk live, you could do it via virtual. So we would love for you to join us. So that is all that I have for you this week. Thank you for joining us. Uh, every week I have a champion with me, whether they're an advocate, if they are a survivor or not, organization. And I would love for you to be a guest. Contact us to be a guest. Or you can go to our website at www.hushnomore.org slash podcast. Contact us at 1-888-285-2161 if you need anything, resources, counseling, or someone to listen. Peace and blessings to you all. Remember to hush no more and that you have a right to tell it.